You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where sometimes my love is like a lethal weapon. When you lose your love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Hi there, my name's Sean Engel, and it's my job on the show to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, who tangentially are in this book. Well, Guy Gardner is, but Kyle Rayner is in one of the books today, which we're covering, Green Lantern number 128, which is another transition issue between the Ron Mars run and the Judd Winnick run. This time out, he teams up with his old buddy and former heroin addict, Roy Harper, as they take some down some terrorists who've stolen some rocket red armor. And in our second book, we're going to be taking a look at the first issue of the prestige format series, Green Lantern vs. Aliens, where Hal Jordan decides to make some really stupid decisions with the aliens from the James Cameron and Ridley Scott alien franchise. It'll be fun, and it'll be kind of horrific. And whenever I talk about horrific things, there's only one person I have in mind coming along with me. He is the co-host of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, one of the shows that I also star on on the Two True Freaks Network. He is also the co-host of a myriad number of shows on the Two True Freaks Network, including Comics Monthly Monday, Star Trek Monthly Monday, the brand new Growing Up Star Wars, Garage Sale Gloat, and just a ton of other things. And essentially, the person who got me into podcasting, do you remember that? The Let Me In episode? That was a time. Oh, was that the first podcast you ever did? That was the first podcast I ever did. You got me in it, so so it's your fault for doing this. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to welcome on the show, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Hey, Chris. Hello there. Thanks for coming on the show. And this is is also kind of a, uh, kind of an extension of Comics Monthly Monday, because I'm getting chris to read a goddamn superhero comic that's yeah too <laughs> surprisingly enough so I, I you know the fact that you're really not all that aware of well not really aware but not that into this era of green lantern it this could be a really fun recording i can't wait to see what you think about these these uh, issues i mean i literally know that they're in space that they, that they're sort of like space rangers from all over the universe and they have their their rings that give them you know, powers to project things from their mind, and they fight evil. That's about as far as it goes. So they pass on the ring when they die. Yep, that's that's pretty it's much about it. as far as it goes with that's, me. That's the best synopsis I've ever had. In fact, good night, folks. We're we're taking. <laughs> now we're actually going to take a break here, and as soon as we get back after playing a couple of trailers for probably a show that uh, Chris is on, we're going to go ahead and take our first look at Green Lantern number one twenty eight. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Looking nerf herder. Oh no. 
Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship out. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. And we're back. So let's go ahead and jump right in to Green Lantern number 128. This one was cover dated September 2000 and released on July 5th of 2000 with a cover price of 225 US and 350 Canada. The title was One in a Million, and the writer was Jay Ferber. Penciler was Gus Vasquez. Anchor was Andy Smith. The colorist was William Moose Bowman. The letterer was Sean Conant. Assistant editor was Frank Berrios. And the editor was Bob Shrek. Kyle Rayner is an incredibly trusting friend, which is evidenced by his allowing fellow Teen Titans teammate Roy Harper to pull the whole William Tell shoot an apple off my head thing in order to get a hot girl's phone number. Luckily, Roy isn't hopped up on the goofball tonight. As the arrow hits its mark, Roy gets the girl's number, and Kyle doesn't end up doing a literal version of the Steve Martin arrow to the head trick. Trying to lighten the mood, Roy strikes up a conversation with Kyle during an innocent game of darts. While Kyle is being taken to town by the former Speedy, the two discuss their complicated relationships with Donna Troy and Jenny Lynn Hayden. The two reminisce about the good times they had while while on the Titans, when Kyle is contacted by Oracle about some Koraki terrorist who hijacked some rocket red armor and are demanding the release of some of their brethren. At the same time, Roy gets a similar signal from the Titans, and the duo spring into action to take out the terrorists. After a humiliating transport to the RTV building where the Rogue Reds are holding hostages, Green Lantern and Arsenal split up, with Kyle taking out the rocket reds while Roy rescues the hostages. After some delivery of consequences, copyright Alan and Emily Middleton, 2014, all rights reserved to both of us, by both of our heroes, things get a little out of control and both of them are taken out, with Kyle even losing his ring to the villains. As the terrorists prepare to execute Arsenal on live TV, Kyle storms into the newsroom with Roy's bow in hand, allowing Arsenal to swipe the Green Lantern ring away from the group leader. With a standoff at hand, the terrorists plan on executing the hostages, but an arrow fired by Kyle and a well-tossed ring by Roy allows them to take the baddies down, saving the day. Later, the two recount their story to Guy Gardner at the Warriors Bar, with Kyle bragging about how when the chips are down, he always comes through. 
Roy bets him 50 bucks that he couldn't make that shot again, and Kyle says that he only uses his skill for good, not personal gain. This, of course, is fine with Roy because he was tweaking and probably needed to get back on the horse. Uh-huh. But maybe that's just me reading too much into this. The end. See, I don't know any of the backstory, so now you made this <laughs> nice buddy story. Well, yeah, okay. Dark. So, so to give you a little uh, <laughs> history on the characters, obviously Kyle Rayner uh, became Green Lantern in issue 50 of the Green Lantern run. Uh, I know you've seen the Green Lantern movie, and mm-hmm. Hal Jordan was the Green Lantern for the longest time. Uh, in the early 90s, uh, during the death of the Superman story, Hal Jordan's home city got blown up by one of the evil Superman and this character named Mongol. You might know him if you ever read the uh, Superman annual for the man who has everything. Yes. Okay, he was the bad guy in that. He okay. and the cyborg Superman basically blew up Hal's hometown, killing everyone in it. So Hal went insane, became this villain called Parallax, and started this thing called Zero Hour, which was... Uh, sort of reboot thing to kind of uh, start the DC universe over. It basically caused all the superheroes at the time to take on Hal and, and kill him or get rid of him and all this. It was basically Zero Hour was a soft reboot of the DC continuity. At that time, Kyle Rayner became Green Lantern, and he's been Green Lantern before. Arsenal, his friend, the red-haired guy, used to be Speedy, who was Green Arrow's war. And you may remember him from that cover of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow uh, story where uh, both Green Lantern and Green Arrow come in and see this kid on the uh, front cover shooting up drugs. Yes. And, and, you know, Green Arrow says, you know, I can't believe my ward, my my sidekick is a junkie. So this is the same guy who prior to this was Speedy, uh, Green Arrow's sidekick. So that's he, kind of the was backstory. Was he hooked on crystal meth or heroin? <laughs> I don't. I think he was. Speedy on, would be really a. I, I think. I think in the story it was heroin, but uh, you know he's been off it now. But you know it's always fun to make jokes, to crack jokes about sure. Speedy being on heroin because it's it's drugs are fun, kids. <laughs> but um, this the overall this story I thought this is kind of a transition for the last. Uh, from issue 50, or actually from issue 48, to uh, 125 of Green Lantern, it was written by this guy named Ron Mars, and he had uh, he basically developed the character of Kyle. And right now, we're going to be moving into a run where uh, this writer named uh, Judd Winnick is going to be writing him. And he's got a different style, and they, these, these are just sort of transition issues. They're just sort of one-off stories. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was you said you said at the beginning this is kind of a buddy cop feel and that's I yeah. can't really agree with that it it has that sort of Shane Black type uh, lethal weapon type feel and it's, it's sort of that dialogue as well. They're competing with each other. They're kind of picking on each other, especially when he you know flies him over there in a baby baby mm-hmm. basket. Basket. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and it's that's that's the kind of thing that I get uh, from the dialogue of this of this writer is he's got that sort of Shane Black. 
sort of lethal weapon type back and forth. Yeah, they're talking about girls and playing darts and, mm-hmm. and picking and, on each other. Yeah, it's 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 nothing more than just a, a, a bit of fun, and yeah. it's 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 a really inconsequential story. It doesn't further either of the characters. It doesn't uh, lead to any other developments. You know, the only real developments they say is, you know, both of them are dating uh, these different girls that they both had relationships with. So there's not that much character development going on in it. But it is just a fun little one-off story that's, you know, a, a nice little read. And the artwork for the time isn't bad. I think I think both the characters suffer from the artist drawing them with what I like to call reverse mullets where right. they've got, they've got like the long hair in front and short, yeah, short hair in the back, with these long strands of hair in front of them. But you know, it's, it's no worse than some art that I've seen in the nineties. But, uh, what you know, other than that, do you, do you have any specific notes on the issue? Not really. I didn't actually write any notes down because not that I didn't have my notepad next to me, but I was I um, picked these up the other day to thumb through them. And I was like, oh, OK, I, and I'm so used to reading older comics mm-hmm. that I forget how, you know, from the late 90s on, it, there's not as much to read. <laughs> yes, I, a lot of it is dedicated to the art. There's a lot of full page spreads of something happening or, you know, it's, there's, there's not a lot of exposition. It's, it's very cinematic. So, so I was like, okay, I can read these, you know, a couple hours before we do the show. And, um, yeah, usually I shouldn't say usually the comics of this time period or superhero comics from this time period suffer from that. Because this is a fun read, you know, it's it's a fast, fun read. It's well written, and uh, you know, like you said, nothing deep. But you know, I don't want to, I want something deep every once in a while, you know, in a very special issue where Speedy shoots up or 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 whatever. You know, most of the time, this is sort of what I'm in for superhero comics for. Well, and the nice thing about this is it's, like I said, because it's inconsequential, you know, there's nothing, you can read this and not feel that you're missing something. You don't have to feel like you're, you know, you're missing a part of a big story arc or that you're missing things that are going on. It's just, it's just a fun. You're missing details, but it fills in, it fills in enough of who, who these people are and what their relationship is. And it's, it's also nice because it's, not only is it the buddy, it's like the buddy cops having a, you know, just sort of having a beer and then all of a sudden they're back in action together. And at the end they have to do a little bit of, I guess you'd call it role reversal mm-hmm. you know, in order to uh, to resolve the situation. And, and I liked the terrorists. They were uh, just from, the, you know, they, d- they didn't have a lot to do but be terrorists, but their lines of dialogue showed them to be all sort of, I don't know where this country is supposed to be, but I'm imagining it's some Eastern block. Yeah. Country. Uh, yeah. They, they say that there are Quaraki terrorists in here and Quarak was the sort of generic Middle Eastern country. Where all the terrorists would come. Yeah, where all the terrorists come from. Out. 
yeah, in the DC universe, so they wouldn't uh, offend people right. in the Middle East by calling it simply Iraq or Iran or whatever. Right. They changed it to Quarak. And uh, I'm trying to remember, um, there was one that was like unnamed Middle Eastern, co- UMAC, unnamed uh-huh. Middle Eastern country. And <laughs> so that uh, they could they could put a Middle Eastern country and give you know, terrorist, uh, a specific place in the DC universe that wasn't uh, comparable to an actual place in the regular world. So, right. But, uh, yeah, like but I, I liked them because they were dumb. They, they had that um, Kevin Klein and a fish called Wanda thing going on. Where they were just <laughs> smart enough to be dangerous, you know, mm-hmm. they, they were they were actually quite dumb, but they're very arrogant and superior feeling. And, uh, it works for them in the short term, but in the end, they, you know, they just get moderated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Like I've said uh, earlier, the, the dialogue, I think, really works here. It's got a, a very different dialogue than what I'm used to. Uh, it, it is it does have sort of that that sort of Kevin Smith type feel. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's more 2000s than it is 90s. But, yes. you know, it's it's just. Yeah, it's just a fun read. Um, unfortunately, the copy I got you doesn't have any ads in here. There's not really any major ads that I want to talk about. Uh, yeah, nothing much. I, I do like, uh, I will admit, I do like the fact, uh, if you get to the last page, there's uh-huh. a little one-panel thing in that middle panel. The guy with the weird, who's sitting at the bar with no shirt on, with the red stripes all over yeah. him. How's he getting service? Uh, well, it's because that's his bar. That is Guy oh. Gardner, who is a who is a former Green Lantern, and his story is very '90s. In the '90s, he uh, found out that he was uh, half alien, and his alien DNA allowed him to morph guns out of his body and shoot like laser weapons out of those guns. Oh, but, sweet! Because it was the '90s, and that's what happened. But yeah, he, he's he's basically retired and owns a bar that that's kind of an analog to it's like the superhero version of planet hollywood right so right. so that's just planet hollywood so yeah that's so still a health department violation yeah i'm certain that well yeah i'm certain that since he's the owner he can go ahead and break those rules and just pay the fines because you don't know if those are like rivulets of condensation on your drink or sweat <laughs> you know, it's not, i really didn't want to even think about that yeah that's that is a health code violation. <laughs> but yeah, overall, I thought this was fun. Did you have anything else to say about this one? Um, not really. Um, I'm, I, I'm torn with, with, with the, I like, um, I, I totally agree with what you said earlier, where for this time period, the art could have been way worse than it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's stand out good, but it's not bad. It's, it, it 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 tells a story and it flows um for the most part like i think the only really awkward panel on it maybe is that last panel is a little bit stiff like yeah. the very last panel is a little bit stiff but um oh well not well you know the the middle panel on the last page mm-hmm. but otherwise i you can tell it's also in the early days of where a lot of the coloring was done on a computer. Yeah. You can sort of see the lines of that, which 
in some ways looks really good. In other ways, I just. Yeah, the, there are some times where the computer coloring just doesn't quite blend as well. I, I mean, you take. Or, you know, or it blends too. too uh, there's almost. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe just my age and I got used to the aesthetic of. Of the three color dots and seeing that on the cheap paper. And I always associated stuff that was colored like this more with like a children's storybook or those weird Whitman comics that were mm-hmm. almost printed on cardboard and stuff like that. So it, it's almost too, too detailed. It, it Sometimes it gives the faces too much dimension. I can see that. If, and, it's it's dimension that looks good it's artistically well done but i don't i don't like that i like a more stylized even if it's going to be a realistic style you know i like it almost in that in a comic book format and this is almost in modern comics are almost more like an illustration sort of style mm-hmm if that makes any sense. Well, no, it so, does. It, it does, and it also goes with the fact that modern comics are more trying to be akin to to mass media like television and movies. So it's yeah. supposed to get that that more stylized, that more uh, that that less cartoony effect that you would see, you know, when they were doing the coloring with the with the three dots and the various, you know, very simple color palette. So yeah, I can so see you what end you're up talking with about. a lot of comics that look very similar to each other. You know, and wherein I don't know, I could just be idealizing it because back because back in the old days, there were a lot of comics by mid road artists who were actually not as good as as these artists. That's maybe that's what it is. Like back in the day, there were more sucky, sucky artists out there where you would open up a comic and just go like, and you know, sometimes you go, because it's like, ah, it's not really my style or something. Like, I could see how some people would see Bill Sienkiewicz and be like, ah, no, no, I don't really like that. But, that you know, stuff that was just blocky and poorly proportioned and just just badly drawn. And uh, you don't see as much of that nowadays because I think it's it, we we have technology to tweak it so that you can do it. You you. You can do a nicer job in less less time. You can do a lot of the things that took a lot of time back in the day, you know, with with the new technology. So everything's rendered a lot, a lot better. But it ends up being just sort of this unistyle, you know, that it kind of homogenizes the art. Yeah, yeah, that's the word I was searching for, but couldn't find in my brain. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, I mean, it's not fair for me to use that as a complaint against this comic because it was, it's sort of a complaint against all comics of that time period, pretty much for the, not all, but, you know, a good chunk of them. Yeah. It, it was, it was nice back in the, you know, you want to say not really in the golden age, but our golden age of comics where, you know, you'd get these disparate styles and, you know, mm-hmm. things would look different and, you know, a George Perez would look different from a Bilson Kevitz that would look different from a Joe Staten. And, and 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 there would be these distinct styles of art. And the fact that now it's 
it's all sort of just one house style that it looks that kind of has that kind of homogenized work kind of does a disservice to these these comics of the time. Uh, it's a good discussion. But yeah, I can't really hold it against this particular one. I mean, I that th- those that those are my two biggest beefs, even more so than because you know I make a lot of ton- there's a lot of tonal complaints with modern comics, but I find a lot of them. But those tonal complaints I think come from big deal things that they use to try to to get some more money or to get some you know publicity. And, uh, and I find a lot of the stories like this that are just sort of in and around the, in between all that stuff are good old fashioned superhero stories. This has everything that you want in a superhero story. You got the t- two guys using their, their powers and then having to compensate by, you know, I mean, the, the, um, Green Arrow's gotta physically climb down the, you know, resort to old, Good old fashioned Indiana Jones swashbuckling mm-hmm. before he can get his ring back. So, and it's, and just so, you know, over 22 pages, you just get a nice little, this would have, this would have made a great pilot episode for a, a TV show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think this could be easily adaptable into, you know, if they wanted to do something, a spin off of, of uh, Arrow that had Green Lantern in it, this could be something they could easily work into. Mm. So, yeah. I agree. Just, yeah, just fun little story. Yep, just it has enough backstory and telling you what's going on, and then the bulk of it is an adventure. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of shades in the stuff that you're told in the beginning of it, and it's 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 really nice. It's a nice little episodic piece. Mm, cool. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope I hope we'll also enjoy the next book that we're going to be covering here after we take this podcast break. It's going to be Green Lantern versus Aliens number one. Hey Jeff. Hey Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us, for very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World, the Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no .com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday. 
at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am back. You need to take the trash out. Hey, I'm trying to make a trailer for a podcast. Oh, you mean Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Why, yes, that is what I mean. The show where you and I discuss all things geeky. Comics, TV, movies, books, you name it. Well, are you going to tell them that you can find the show at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com? Well, I think you kind of already did. And that new shows will be posted bi-weekly, every two weeks? I was, but you just kind of did that too. Well, see, now you can go take out the trash. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. Franklin, for the Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast, at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. All right, we are back. And we're going to go take a look at our second book this time out. This one is Green Lantern vs. Aliens, number one. This one was cover dated September 2000 and released on September 13, 2000. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that information. The cover price was $2.95 US and $4.50 in Canada. The writer was Ron Mars. Big list of people here. Penciler was Rick Leonardi. The inker was Mike Perkins. Colorist was Dave Stewart. Letterer was Steve Dutro. The cover artist was Dwayne Turner. The designer, okay, was Darcy Hockett. Assistant editors were Tim Evan Gore and Frank Berrios. The editors were Phil Amar and Bob Schreck. The publisher was Mike Richardson, and their special thanks going out to Debbie Olshan at Fox and Neela Weber at DZ Comics. And the story goes like this. In space, no one can hear you drop your Green Lantern power ring amongst a floor covered with leathery alien egg sacs and discarded facehuggers. However, you can hear the scream of the Green Lantern, who the ring belongs to, as his chest explodes outward, liberating the xenomorph that was gestating inside. Cut to Earth, where a different group of aliens are robbing a local bank. However, their paranormal pilfering is broken up by a well-aimed arrow that takes out the Grey's gun. It looks like these ETs picked the wrong town to commit crime in, as Green Arrow and Black Canary burst in to break up the baddies. The duo make short work of their foes. However, one of the crooks manages to sneak up behind Green Arrow with his pistol. Luckily, Green Lantern steps in to lend a hand. You see, it's a pawn. He caught the guy in a giant ring construct hand. You, you I get that. it. I get <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Crisis averted, the trio plan to head out for some spicy chili when the festivities are broken up by the arrival of the floaty head of a guardian of the universe. The omnipotent imp orders Hal to meet with fellow Green Lanterns on a distant planet, post-haste. Glad that he won't have to spend the next three days on the can with these screaming shits, Hal heads spacewards as Ollie tells him to be careful, as the next bunch of aliens he runs into might be a little nastier. Hal arrives at the meeting point, and he sees that the team of Green Lanterns he will be working with are some of the elite member of the Corps. Tomar Ray, Salak, the Green Man, Kilowog, and Kat Matui. Hal asks Kilowog about the situation, and he says that this sector's Green Lantern is missing, and his ring hasn't been passed on to a successor. Also, the Guardians are clueless as to what kind of aliens the Lantern was up against. As the team homes in on the ring's power signal, 
They come across a cavern whose walls are lined with an odd organic substance, and whose floors are covered with the strange eggs seen at the beginning of the book. Hal has his team split up to cover more ground, and eventually he finds the dead body of the missing lantern, a hole in his chest as if something burst out of it. Collecting the discarded ring, Hal hears an ominous hissing as he turns to see the horrific aliens crawling from the ceiling. Hal regroups with his team, only to find out that these aliens are extremely fast and have incredibly powerful acid for blood. Kilowog yells for the lanterns to wipe them out. All of them. But Hal intervenes, probably because he's been listening to Ollie spew his left-wing touchy-feeliness. Hal views the aliens to be like sharks on Earth, perfect killing machines, but not necessarily evil. Saying that they weren't called here to exterminate these creatures, Hal convinces the rest of the group that there should be another way of taking care of them. So gathering up the aliens and their eggs in ring construct bubbles, the lantern takes them to a planet where there won't ever be any problems, the living planet, and Green Lantern, Bogo. Guaranteed there won't be any problems. No problems at all. Of course, Hal never anticipated himself going crazy, destroying the core and the central power battery. So when a decade later, a passing spaceship crash lands on the former Green Lantern planet, I'm certain that decision not to wipe them all out won't have any repercussions at all. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the thing that I got from the story is how... <sighs> I guess it kind of stems from the fact that we know what the aliens are and what they're going to do. Right. That putting them, even putting them on this isolated planet, who, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the Alan Moore story, story uh, Mogo doesn't socialize. No. Okay, Alan Moore actually wrote uh, some stories, backup stories in uh, the 1980s Green Lantern books. And one of them was called Mogo doesn't socialize. And it basically was a story about a planet Mogo, the planet that they leave the aliens on at the end of this book, that was actually a sentient planet, kind of along the lines of Ego, the living planet in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. But he was also a Green Lantern. And the story has this alien crash on the planet and Mogo messes with him. And you eventually find out that Mogo, you know, the, the person that he was looking for, Mogo, was actually the planet he was on. It was a typical Alan Moore kind of quirky story, but that's where Mogo came from. And Mogo's played a role in, he's playing a role in the current Green Lantern series, and he's done a lot of stuff prior to this. But the fact that Hal decides to take these obviously incredibly nasty looking aliens and just put them on an isolated world and think that's going to be a good thing. Well, it's like finding a bunch of, like, really, if you were tiny and you got attacked by a bunch of ticks mm -hmm. and then took them and left them on Hal, you wouldn't be too psyched. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good analogy there. But, yeah, it's, it's very short-sighted on the uh, part of Hal. And, you know, it, but it, it, does, it does lend to a good setup of a nice story. And His I, logic I, makes sense. I mean, for somebody who's never seen the movies. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I think that's where it kind of falls apart for the reader because the readers know yeah. what these aliens are capable of and what they're going to do is they're going to, you know, even though if this planet is lifeless, 
you know, it's uh, it's whatever. It's it's fate. Yeah, there's no co- cohabitating with these creatures. Yeah, you, you, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna kill whoever encounters them, and you know, it's just Murphy's law that something's gonna go wrong, and someone's gonna crash on Mogo, or you know, you know, since Mogo is a Green Lantern, he could be called into service, or uh, he it could be called into service to do something. People could land on there. It it just it doesn't make sense in the reader's mind, knowing what we know about the aliens. Um, I like the art in this book. Uh, I, I, I actually like it a lot better. The, it did a really good job at capturing the feel of the aliens, especially these open yes. panels. It looks a lot like the the Geiger art or the Geiger artwork, and the the egg sacks and the little uh, face huggers look really good. The the chest burster. On that one screen, on that one scene, the splash where it's bursting out of the Green Lantern. We're symbol. used to gore. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's not. It's not as gory, and it doesn't look it's like kind a, of bright and colorful. Actually, it's it, kind it, of a bright little. It, it kind of looks like it's smiling as well. It's got a nice it, little. It, could, it would make a nice T-shirt, actually. <laughs> actually, it kind of would. Um, but uh, Rick Leonardi, the guy who did the art for this. I think the place we would probably know him best from, he did uh, work on the uh, Spider-Man 2099 series back in the the early or the late 80s, early 90s. So that's pretty much where I know him from. But I like the art here. It's it's clean, but it still it does still have that sort of computerized coloring, and you can it does, that. but it's not as it's it's a little more subtle and watercolory looking in this. Mm-hmm. I was it saying, was, I was saying, like the aliens' eyes, not the alien, but the bank robbers who were dressed right. as aliens look a little like that. Yeah, I, the, you know, I like the artwork. I think the both. What do you think of the last two pages? You think those are kind of a little Jack Kirby tribute? Especially, you know, the planet's got the first thing that made me go like, "Ooh, Jack Kirby were the were, were the the cl- space clouds with the circles punched out of them." Oh yeah, the sort of the sort of Kirby dots type look, that Kirby energy, the Kirby crackle. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just the way the spaceship looks, you know, especially it's, the last panel where it's it sort of has that Mayan face. It looks like a horse on the first page. You yeah, see it, it, it does. You know, looking at it from behind, it does have that sort of, it does have that sort of chiseled, almost dark side That's type of face. Yeah. yeah, and I, I also like how, even though it's not, you know, you don't, you, you kind of know what's going on with the planet that is crash landing on Mogo, but you, because, like I told you in the previous story, what happened to Hal was he went crazy and destroyed the entire Green Lantern core of which, and the central battery, which Mogo got his energy from or its energy. I keep calling it planet. He, uh, but his groove back. Yeah. Well, and you can see kind of here on the, on the previous page, a couple of pages early as they're heading away from Mogo, he's got basically his continents lined up. So he's got the Green Lantern symbol showing across the face of the planet as the Green Lanterns fly away. Here on that uh, last page, you can see the symbol kind of degradating and, you know, the continents forming around. I don't know. Mogo is supposed to be kind of an Earth-type planet, so he's got, you know, water and land and vegetation and an atmosphere. He's not a gas giant, so people can live on him. But I like that, you know, there's that change from 
the specific Green Lantern symbol to it's kind of degraded here because obviously the Green Lanterns are no more. But uh, I also like the fact that the aliens looked really good. I, you know, we mentioned that the uh, that the art was really good, but they also got the aliens down, and a lot of times that's hard to do, you know, because they are such a weird looking creature. They are such weird looking creatures. Sometimes they're very they don't unique. Get them so if they're not, if their proportions are wrong and stuff, they look really goofy. You mm-hmm. know, the only really negative thing is that when Hal kind of first encounters them and there's that page because these pages aren't numbered the page where he's uh, ringing up the little uh, gate to try and keep them away yes. and that second panel where he shoots out the extendable mouth it that's the only thing that looks like it looks more like a hand yes. trying to grasp at him than the teeth thing but other than that they look really good um did you have any questions or any comments about the different characters in here? Because, like I said in, in the synopsis, this is kind of the elite squad of Green Lanterns. And I think a couple of them, if you watch the Green Lantern movie, you should know. Especially Kilowog, yes. the big sort of bulldog-looking one. And uh, Tomar Ray, who's the uh, fishy-looking uh, fish-headed guy. Fishy fish parrot guy. So, mm-hmm. th- you know, this is, uh, this is a pretty oh. good... Uh, this is a pretty good uh, assemblage of the like the elite Green Lanterns around these. That's yeah. what that's what people want to see. They want to see these guys get their their you know that these are the guys people I guess would they would pick to see battle the aliens. You mm-hmm. know, and you know, like I said at the time that this was being published, all of these guys were either dead or missing or or whatever. So, you know, the fact that you get to see these guys is kind of a treat in this book, that it's kind of this throwback Mm -hmm. story that you get to see all these people, you know, fighting these aliens in the past and what the ramifications of it are going to be. It's, it makes for a really interesting story. Well, my, my biggest thought with this was, Oh, I got to wait for the, I got to read the rest of the issues to get to the horror aspect of it. Mm Hmm. Because this one is basically one of the sort of potential downfalls you could suffer from from having superheroes versus aliens, where now you have a sort of even match for the aliens. So it's not, you know, it's 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 very much like I don't know any comic where they would be battling some bug like aliens or something. You know what I mean? They. Mm-hmm. They, they pretty much figure out as logically as they should. They have, they have the facilities right on them to deal with the, the, the xenomorphs. So this issue is just a setup, you know, so <clears throat> to, and also uh, as it's time period, very quick read. Yeah. Not a lot happens in it. It's well, I, I will admit, uh, there is. A little bit of a horror element, but it definitely does feel yeah. called from the Alien films. The last sort of third of the book does have that sort of uh, aliens feel, you know, them first encountering them, like uh, mm-hmm. when Hicks and Hudson and the band, you know, were crawling through the lower levels of uh, the station on LV-427. I'm certain you meant to say LV-426. Can't you get your movie references right? 
it, it kind of has that feel of them not knowing what's going on and them just trying to encounter them. It what, doesn't last for long, though, you know, yeah. because they have they have the they have the power to on the spot deal with them rather than, you know, in a normal alien movie, it's you encounter the alien. And from that point on, it's sort of a chase race evade mm-hmm. you know against a superior power and improvising to survive whereas these guys are just like oh okay they got acid for blood and blah blah blah. we just yeah we, put up a big bubble over us they can't get bubble. in yeah, yeah. And bubble them up mm-hmm. and that would be and that would be pretty much in reality how you would you would deal with that but also you know i was a little disappointed just because uh, we haven't got to the horror part, but this is a great setup for a horror part because it sort of sets it up like, oh, yeah, they weren't that big a deal. They got control of them and put them on this planet. But I didn't know the story that like 10 years later, the Green Lanterns are no more. So you don't have you. you you're not going to have somebody. Well, I mean, you're obviously going to have Green Lanterns involved mm. because that's the comic. But it's yeah the 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 rest of this this story does deal uh, with Kyle Rayner who is the Greenlander we talked about in the first book and he oh, okay. has to sort of fix what's going on clean up on the mess and you know because he's just as clueless as you know Hal was here about these aliens and doesn't know what's going on you know he has to you know try and go in there and figure out what's going on as well now I don't want to spoil ahead because I haven't read the other three okay. yet. Um, but does it end up being an Alan Moore sort of thing where the aliens might have actually infected the whole planet? Um, it's or- it's more of it is it's more of aliens. You know, someone you know we see at the end of this, the ship crash lands on the planet, and it's basically a sort of rescue mission with Green Lantern. And you would think, you know. Green Lantern, he's got the ring, he can protect himself. All he has to do is go in there and contain the aliens in a big bubble again. Um, it's not really a spoiler, but they have to do something so Green Lantern can't do something like that. And uh, basically what they do is they they find a way to take away the powers from Green Lantern. Mm. And this, okay. is, this was something that they did in, in the story Superman vs. Aliens, where uh, Superman went to a world that he thought was Krypton or was had signals that was like Krypton, and unfortunately the aliens were on that. And because he was so far away from the yellow sun, he started becoming depowered. So that's kind of... Yeah, because a regular Superman with the aliens could just sit in the nest of them yeah, and just, just, sit, they just chew on him and drip acid on him all day and... vision him to death so that's no problem because he's superman but you you depower them enough it makes the story interesting and later on in the story basically green lantern is depowered and that's how the the horror elements and the 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 thriller elements in the story come out so that's kind of what happens in, in the rest of this so i hope you'll take a look at that because uh for an opening salvo this does a nice job setting up the story yes but the horror and the it does become much more of an aliens type book by the end. And there is, there is a bit of a twist ending now that I remember the end of it. So, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like a, it's not something that you wouldn't expect, but there is a bit of a twist at the end. So, 
I hope that gets you at least somewhat interested to go take a look at the rest of these books. Oh, yeah. I always like these books always end up being fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a little four issue story, so it's not yeah. it's not taken, you know, it's it's like a it's smaller than a trade paperback. So it's not taken a, a whole bit of your life. And yes, like you well, said, it is kind of a short, quick read. I like that they're not treating it naughty winky style either. It's a straightforward, but that's sort of most most of the alien crossover or, you know, alien franchise comics that I've seen haven't been like, let's pay tribute to this scene. And, you know, they've pretty much see, it seems to be a concept where it's like, you don't have to shore up anything with any of the movies or anything like that. Or, or, and I like that, you know, Mm -hmm. they just use the concept of it rather than, I, I don't know, try to throw in a, you know, an ancestor of, of, Ellen Ripley or something like that, you know, or, or throwing in lines from the movie or having a character read, reading the Stromo at the beginning of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, they, they, they play into the, the tropes of what's going on in aliens. Like they see the egg sacs and they get the acid for blood and they, they see all the things that happen with aliens, but it doesn't feel that it's deliberately taken from the movie deliberately swiped from it there's no sort nope. of callbacks it's it's its own little individual story with the yeah. themes and characters well at least the alien characters from the movie alien so it's 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 a good read oh yeah i'm gonna enjoy anything pretty much with the aliens in it <laughs> oh yeah well there's something just visually about them that i enjoy looking at you know ever since i saw the movie and i remember always wanting the giant i think it was a kenner toy mm-hmm. oh yeah that kenner 12 inch alien toy uh, was, yeah it was like a piece of artwork you know it, it was beautiful but uh, there was i remember seeing it in the store i can't remember what kid <laughs> would actually want to have that in their room at like age eight or because that I, I would have been about nine years old it came out in 79 and I, that would have scared the living piss out of me if i saw that sitting on like my my dresser in my room yes. in the middle of the night uh but it was it was beautifully yeah i agree the alien design an hr giger children's toy <laughs> there you go uh, uh <laughs> it's disturbing but if if you don't have anything more, Chris, I've got to say I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always it's always great to get to talk to you, regardless of what we're talking about. But it was a special treat for me having you on the show and talking about these Green Lantern comics. Oh, thanks. And I hope to get on again when you find something else appropriate to me or you can just get me on for something random i enjoy getting the random superhero throat well like like i said this is this is essentially you know get chris get chris to read a goddamn superhero comic you know just one of the guys style but you know like i do with all of uh, my guests that come on the show i go ahead at the end of the show and allow them to plug what kind of stuff they're doing on the internet and you've got a ton of stuff so i'll let you (laughs) oh my god yeah, the Two True Freaks podcast is going strong. The whole network is, I mean, every day there seems to be a new podcast coming out. We're gonna, we're gonna be rejiggering the, the website, which is twotruefreaks.com really soon and, and sort of 
sort of making it more user friendly and we got a new uh we've got all our monthly monday shows that scott gardner and i do we have a star trek a star wars one which just ended but will be replaced with another star wars podcast with scott gardner and i so don't fret with that oh god star trek comics monthly monday and of course i'm on the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror with you and the walking dead wednesdays with you and various oh my god i mean we're we're already behind on the round tables for like um planet of the apes and now guardians of the galaxy two movies to rave at by that we got oh geez thor podcast we've got anime style of all kinds i imagine hope is gonna put out like a 18 hour guardians of the galaxy podcast (laughs) any day now Basically, what you gotta do is go to twotruefreaks.com and, and go from there, cause you, there's something you're interested in there that we talk about. Oh, yes. And, and again, I've got a, you know, I, I don't know whether I told you about that. I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I, I have you to thank for getting me into podcasting, not only from the get off your ass and do a podcast show, but for actually letting me on to talk to you about, uh, you know, let, let the right one in. You know, the first podcast they actually ever did. So you're, you're the man who's responsible. So take well, was credit. It, wasn't it let the right one in? Was versus, it just let the right one in or yeah, was it let we, the right one in versus let me in? Yes, we talked. And surprisingly enough, you know, as critical as we were for the one, uh, the let me in, mm-hmm. the guy who was behind that, Matt Reeves, is also the guy who directed the uh, latest Planet of the Apes movie, the latest uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So I guess, you know, he could actually turn around and do a good movie. So there you go. Mm-hmm. That's surprising. Well, like, I, I don't know if I particularly thought it was a bad movie. It was just kind of a weird, you know, it was not as good as the original Kind of an unnecessary if, movie. If it, if it existed on its own, it would have been this huge hit i think mm-hmm. but i think the people who are interested in that kind of stuff saw the original because i i saw that me and it was like oh that's nice and it had some scenes and some little areas of it that i thought that were neat to see little changes in it but yeah but it, i didn't th- I think it made him a bad filmmaker um but yeah definitely a big improvement <laughs> oh yeah but Chris, again, thanks for coming on the show and thanks everyone for tuning in and listening. We'll be back next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys. So we'll see you in seven days, folks. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> That's Scott Gardner. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.com. 
There you can find the RSS feed as well as scan the covers and whatever else I feel like putting on. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks, the numeral two, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new DeBonsecore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greeklander podcast. The opening music for today's show is Honeymoon Suite and their song, Lethal Weapon, from the album of the motion picture Lethal Weapon, or from their own album, Racing After Midnight. Now, I love Lethal Weapon as much as you do, and man, I love 80s hair bands, and Honeymoon Suite is one of those bands I love. And if I were wanting to buy this album or buy this music, I know there'd be one place where I would go to get it. It would be Amazon.com. And I know the one place that I'd go to get to Amazon.com would be 2TrueFreaks.com. Like anyone else, if you were to go to 2TrueFreaks.com, up on the homepage, there is a banner in the upper left-hand corner. Click on that, and you'll be transported to 2TrueFreaks.com, where you can buy the awesome hair metal band Honeymoon Suite and all their myriad numbers of songs, like Lethal Weapon, Feel It Again, yeah, and that's about it. But it doesn't matter because there is so much to buy and so much to peruse at Amazon.com that you can find pretty much anything that you want. And any time that you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com, any purchase you make at Amazon.com directs a little bit of your money back to the website. It won't cost you anything extra, so nothing else comes out of your pocket. Amazon just is that generous with their money. So if you ever feel like buying some awesome hair product music. Wow, I'm just looking at this image and that's some awesome hair. Please use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to purchase your items from Amazon.com. Oh God, someone's at the door. It's nine, it's nine o'clock at night. What the hell is going on? Trick or treat. <laughs> well, I'm taping if it's a home invasion. Okay, well, no, I think it's probably just the neighbor kids coming over to... What's going on? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah, but it's it's summer. I guess the kids are getting ready for school here in the next week, so they're trying to yeah. <clears throat> blow off as much steam as they could. <laughs>